Kevin McCarthy, Matt Gates, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are ready to wreck the economy. Ready to put your job and your family in economic danger. Ready to blow up your pension and retirement and raise prices on everything you buy. Cutting benefits to veterans. Slashing defense. Ending infrastructure projects. Their reckless conspiracy to bankrupt America is a cynical plan to re-elect Donald Trump by crashing the economy. Call your member of Congress today and tell them yes on saving America's economy and no on McCarthy's plan to kill it. Welcome to the Truth and Democracy podcast. My name is Rich Procida. I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of the Truth and Democracy podcast. Today, we have Minister Bert Newton, who will tell us about the Canaanite women's victory over Jesus in debate. But before we begin, I want to tell you a little about the Truth and Democracy Coalition and about our upcoming events. The Truth and Democracy Coalition was formed to build a pro-democracy movement in America. We educate the public about disinformation, teach people to be critical of the propaganda they consume, and provide critical analysis of current events and social issues. We produce media and educational materials, hold seminars and meetings, work with other organizations, and organize events and activities geared toward building a pro-democracy movement in America. The coalition seeks to build communities of people of different faiths and ideologies to defend and promote democracy locally, nationally, and globally. On Sunday, May 21, 2023, at noon, we welcome Harvard-educated American moral philosopher, cultural commentator, and essayist Susan Neiman. Dr. Neiman has written extensively on the juncture between Enlightenment moral philosophy, metaphysics, and politics, both for scholarly audiences and the general public. She describes herself as a lifelong leftist and socialist and is an unlikely critic of wokeism. She argues that the tenets of the woke have become antithetical to the traditional values of the left. And I want to read you a couple statements about her book. Philip Kirchner of Columbia University writes, Susan Neiman's powerful new book calls out to everyone who hopes to advance the cause of justice for all. She envisions a progressive movement drawing from the full range of the human family, from people of all classes, ethnic backgrounds, and sexual identities. She urges them to renew the values articulated by Enlightenment thinkers, not to confine human beings by ancestry or biology, not to settle for merely replacing one regime of power with another, not to abandon the hope of genuine human progress. When those values are discarded, she argues, we acquiesce to important losses. 
in her characteristically lucid and accessible prose, she exhorts all of us to aspire to more. And Thomas Chatterton Williams of Bard College and contributing writer to The Atlantic writes, Susan Neiman is one of our most careful and principled thinkers on the genuine left. In this nuisance and impassioned plea for universalism, she has done a public service for readers of every political stripe. If an alliance of conservatives, liberals, and progressives is to succeed in fending off an increasingly undemocratic far right, lucid thinking is our only hope. Left is not woke is an urgent and powerful intervention into one of the most pressing struggles of our time. So to register for our interview with Susan Neiman, go to tinyurl.com slash leftnotwoke. That's tinyurl.com slash leftnotwoke. Then on June 4th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, we will start our monthly Red Pill Men's Group. Men are dying. They are killing themselves with drugs and alcohol and committing suicide at far higher rates than women. They also make up the perpetrators of violence, and mass shooters are mostly young men. They are turning to authoritarianism and make up a large portion of far-right extremists and MAGA activists. What's wrong with men? New studies show that implicit bias is strongest against men. Men are more the subjects of implicit bias than people of color or the poor. Men have become the public enemy number one in our society. They are viewed as dogs and trash, among other things. The saying, women need a man like a fish needs a bicycle, has become popular among women who no longer need financial support from men. Studies show that women are happier being single and no longer want to love and take care of a man. All of this has had a profound effect on men. Pining for a past when they had more authority, men are turning to drugs, alcohol, suicide, and authoritarianism. To register for this nonpartisan men's support group, go to tinyurl.com slash redpillmen. That's tinyurl.com slash redpillmen. Then on June 11, 2023, at 2 p.m., Rich Proceda, that's me, by the way, an early pro-feminist activist, the author of Social Issues in Global Perspective, pornography, and the leader of the Truth and Democracy Coalition will lead a discussion about what's wrong with men and what to do about it. A survivor of severe sexual abuse, he will tell his story, address the problems facing men today, and talk about what needs to happen to move men back from the brink and back to sanity. To register, go to tinyurl.com slash wrong with men. That's tinyurl.com slash wrong with men. Now let's turn to Bert Newton's discussion of the story of Jesus's confrontation 
with a Canaanite woman in the Gospel of Matthew and the revolutionary movement she represents. In the last episode, we saw how Jesus defended and demonstrated his zeal for the traditions and laws of Israel. And I ended that episode by saying that next, he will go where those who claim zeal for the traditions of Israel fear to tread. Well, that was a moderately clever line, if that. Well, I thought it was a moderately clever line. Maybe it wasn't even that. But at any rate, it could give the wrong impression. As we will see, Jesus is about to go into Gentile territory. So my statement could be understood to mean that Jews were Gentile-phobic, refusing to visit Gentile territory because they feared and hated Gentiles. But that's not really true. Jews went into Gentile territory all the time. In fact, many of them lived in Gentile areas throughout the empire, and even east of the empire in Persian lands. But anyone traveling to foreign lands in antiquity would justifiably feel a little nervous, especially if they were citizens of an occupied nation rather than citizens of the empire. There wasn't the assurance of safety in foreign travel that many of us, especially from wealthy countries, assume today. A foreigner could be a target for xenophobic hate or for those merely looking for an easy victim to steal from. Furthermore, the area that Jesus walks into the region of Tyre and Sidon, was a particularly precarious place for a Jew to travel during the first century due to the hostility and tension between residents of that area and the Jewish people. Josephus refers to the people of Tyre as the bitterest enemies of the Jews, and he records violent clashes between the two groups. So any Jew might fear to tread there. But more to the point that I'm making is that Jesus will end up doing more than merely wandering into the territory and among its people. He will either alter the whole trajectory of his mission, or he will finally make a breakthrough that he's been trying to make for a while, depending on how you interpret the passage. And we'll get to that later. Now, also in the last episode, we saw Jesus once again defeat the wisdom men of Israel, in debate. He defeated the Pharisees and their scribes. They quibbled about ritual washing of hands before eating, but Jesus told them that what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a person. Once again, this peasant wise man, the one who trains other peasants to be scribes for the new society, this peasant rabbi who operates a traveling peasant scribal school defeated those trained in the scribal schools of the old society who come down from Jerusalem. All of that is what makes the next scene so ironic. In this next scene, Jesus will spew unclean things from his mouth, and he will lose a debate. My name is Bert Newton, and this is episode 38 of Bible Study. 
parody and subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Let's read Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Having just successfully defended himself against a challenge by the Pharisees and scribes concerning his zeal for the traditions of Israel, Jesus wanders into Gentile territory, the region of Tyre and Sidon, where Josephus tells us there was enmity between Jews and the people of this region. Jesus encounters a woman from this region who pleads with him to liberate her daughter from demonic oppression. This woman is also a peasant, living under a brutal Roman occupation. The demonic oppression of her daughter highlights this. As I've explained in previous episodes, demons were an extension of Satan, who was understood in Jewish resistance literature of the time to be the spirit behind the Roman Empire. So the demonic possession of the woman's daughter serves to highlight her and her daughter's common plight with Jesus and his people. They are all peasants suffering under a brutal Roman occupation. But she is not Jewish, and Jesus treats her with contempt. I'm torn as to how to interpret this passage. On the one hand, many have interpreted this passage as one in which Jesus is caught with his compassion down. That's the phrase I constantly read and people commenting on this. He is caught with his compassion down. He makes a racist remark, calling a Gentile woman a dog, but then is brought back to his senses by her clever retort to his rudeness. Jesus, perhaps tired from all his travel and work, reveals his humanity. After all, he is the Son of Man, which can be translated the human one. And He gets schooled and discipled by a Gentile woman. I like that interpretation. It makes the story more interesting. However, we have to take into consideration that Jesus has already encountered Gentiles and treated them with grace and honor. He gave high praise to the centurion who recognized his authority. He went into Gentile territory and liberated two men from demonic imperial oppression. And the narrator tells us that Gentile wise men knelt at his crib when he was a baby. 
So it seems sort of unlikely that he would suddenly have intense, hostile feelings toward Gentiles. And yet, that may be what we get in this passage. It's not the only surprise that we get in the gospel. For example, we don't expect Jesus to plead so fervently in the Garden of Gethsemane with God not to have to go through to the cross after teaching emphatically multiple times that the cross is his destiny and after calling others to follow him to the cross. We don't expect that. But that is what we get in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sorry for the spoiler, but I'm assuming most of my listeners already know that part of the story. So it is entirely possible that we are meant to understand that Jesus, perhaps tired from the struggle, gives in to his human impulse to engage in ethnic hatred and has to be saved by the Gentile woman who is the object of this hatred. It would be like in the Garden of Gethsemane. He shows his humanity. There he shows his fear. Here he gives in to the impulse to show contempt, uh, racist or ethnic contempt. The other option, of course, is to understand that Jesus is setting up the woman to be the hero, the teacher, in a crucial teaching moment. Some scholars have interpreted it this way, making the case that Jesus says and does what a rabbi might say and do in such a situation to create this teaching moment. I'm not going to summarize those arguments because I did not find them to have enough detail to be convincing, but it is worth noting that more than one scholar has made this argument, that Jesus follows a rabbinical pattern in setting up the woman to be the teacher. But whichever is the case, it is clear that the narrator makes the woman the hero. This is the first time in the story that a woman actually speaks. The narrator calls her a Canaanite, using a historic term that highlights her status as an enemy of Israel. Canaanites in the Hebrew scriptures were the quintessential enemies of Israel. And then Jesus contradicts his own teaching. First of all, he contradicts his teaching to love one's enemies. An instruction from his first recorded teaching in this story in chapters 5 through 7. And he also contradicts his most recent teaching in the previous passage. He just taught that the things that truly defile someone proceed from the heart through the mouth. And here he is spewing from his mouth unclean hatred at this woman who is pleading with him for help. And she is the one who demonstrates enemy love. She is the one who demonstrates the humility required to forge solidarity between peasant people occupied by the same foreign power. And she is the first person to defeat Jesus in a debate. After multiple episodes, one just previous to this, in which Jesus defeats the elite wisdom men of Israel in debate, he concedes a debate to a peasant Gentile woman. 
Any way we look at this, she is the hero of the story. In conceding the debate to her, Jesus commends her great faith, which contrasts with Peter's little faith in the last chapter and with the other disciples' little faith in previous episodes. Faith is not just about believing in supernatural things. Faith is about trust, and who you trust makes all the difference. This Gentile peasant woman has placed her trust in a Jewish peasant Messiah, leading a nonviolent liberation movement to deliver all people from the satanic and demonic rule of the systems of domination. All of that takes great faith. By demonstrating this great faith, this woman paves the way for what happens next as Jesus continues his work among the Gentile peasantry. And that's in the next episode. Until then, my name is Bert Newton. The music for this episode has been provided by David Martin and Bob Nolte. Please spread the word about this podcast and rate us and leave reviews wherever you can to draw more people to this podcast. And thank you to everyone who's been doing that and been supporting us financially. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through PayPal. Just send the money to subversivewisdom at gmail.com. You can also send questions and comments or encouraging words to that same address, subversivewisdom at gmail.com. This has been episode 38 of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel.